Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, this morning, before we pray the Lord's Prayer, which we do every single Sunday morning, Just wanted to reference that we are in a series entitled Kingdom Wisdom. We're going to spend six weeks looking at six different parables from the gospel. The reason for this is, is we have dozens and dozens of table groups in and around Charlottesville where people are meeting with friends, people, many of whom are outside of faith, who are kind of looking over the wall at faith, checking out who Jesus is. We have table groups all over the community, around the county who are gathering with people to talk about the question of what is the good life. And so we're using six parables from Jesus to kind of inform a perspective on what the good life is that most people, many people, especially those outside of faith, have never really considered before. And so we're going to be dealing with six parables over the next six weeks in this little mini-series in the larger Kingdom of God series, How Do You Live in the Kingdom?, is this morning is kingdom wisdom, the parable of the vineyard workers and generosity. So as you know here at City, if you've been with us, we pray the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. And you're also going to notice that we, in parenthesis, always put in Charlottesville at a certain part. That's not to say that this is the only place God is working. If you have a need in your life, and it's maybe in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and you've got a friend or someone that you know needs the kingdom, just say Santa Fe, not Charlottesville. Does this make sense? All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Ready? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, before we deal with the parable we're going to deal with this morning, there's something to really to help us understand the next six weeks with parables. The question is, why does Jesus teach using parables? Great question. And the reason why is actually quite simple. If you know anything about educational theory, you know that if someone actually has to wrestle through a problem, they're actually going to learn something more deeply, and there's more of an opportunity to actually learn it and work it out through life if you have to wrestle with it a little bit. So when Jesus comes to teach key things that he wants people to know, he'll utilize parables, because in that culture, everyone knows that a parable is presented so that you would think about it, you would wrestle with it, and by the time you're done, you will actually truly learn. Now, here's something else for us to know. When an extremely important truth is being taught by Jesus, this is similar, when a parable is used, this is similar to when the professor says, this will be on the exam. And how many of you who are students right now know, you know the professor well enough, you've maybe been sitting in a course and she's been teaching and you've been there about a week and you've already figured out. 
When that faculty person has a certain intonation in her voice, you listen. And the rest of the time, you totally zone out. <laughs> Let me help you with another example. How many of you who are still living at home know that when your parents have a certain intonation in their voice, you actually need to listen? Here's another example. How many of you are married and you know that the conversation goes blah, 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 and then all of a sudden the voice changes and you go, oh, I better listen now, and you actually do. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One of those, or if not all three of those scenarios. That's what a parable is. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like and pitches a parable, everyone who heard him teach in his day would instantly lean in because parables are the teaching modality that you use when something important is being taught. Does this make sense to us? So anytime in the Bible you see a parable, there's a reason you're supposed to wrestle with it, fight through it, put yourself inside of it, and see what happens as you wrestle through the parable. Jesus, more often than not, never gives a data dump. He'll either tell a story or give a parable, and it's meant for you to wrestle with it. Now, here's our parable. The parable, again, is known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's read it, and as we're reading through it, I'm going to pause, give a little bit of commentary, and then we'll take a deep dive into what the parable means. Here's what the text said. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius, many of you, if you have your own Bible in your hand, there's a footnote to the bottom of the page, and it literally means eight days wage. So in the currency of Jesus' day, if you were a laborer, there was a coin you would get at the end of the day that was literally minted just so you knew you got a day's wage. That's what the coin was for. So reading on, it says, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others, I'm sorry, uh, for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So there's a sense of fairness that's stepping into the parable. So they went and he went out again about noon, about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now let's push the pause button. Many countries around the world, this is how people actually make a living. I've been on missions trips where I've seen this where people go down to a certain part of the town or a certain part of the city and they get up extra early and they line up and some of them will have tools with them, but they will line up and the only way they're going to eat is if someone comes along and says, I need someone to help me put my roof on the house. And I wanna hire these three of you. And so this isn't just kind of a, passivity parable. This is a parable that if you lived during Jesus's day, you knew what it was like, more likely than not, to stand in the line and just hope and pray someone hired you. Otherwise, you're going to be exceptionally hungry. This makes sense to us right now. So let's read on. The text says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said this to his said this to said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired 
and going to the first. So in this parable, what we find out is the people that were hired first get paid last. And Jesus does it intentionally because if he paid them first, they would take their denarius and leave. He wants them to see how he's going to be paying everyone. Does this make sense? Now, let's read on. And the text says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received what? And what is a denarius worth? A whole day's wage. And so you showed up at the crack of dawn and got hired early and you've been in the fields laboring all day. You've been up on the roof, putting the roof on all day. And you're the first little wave of workers and you sit there and go, huh, that dude just got a denarius. This is awesome. I'm gonna get a raise. Let's read on. So the scripture says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came to who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Here's why, because the world's always fair. (laughs) But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. Interesting. Not that you paid them more, you made them equal to us. Who have borne the burden of the work and the, what are the next four words? Heat of the day. We're going to come back to that and what that means in just a moment. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. And I will give, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I can relate to this parable because I would have been one of the ones who got up early and would have been really ticked. And here's why. I was raised in a home where my father was a German. And he has an extremely, or had, he's deceased now, but he had an extremely Germanic work ethic. Not only that, I was raised on a farm. I can remember being a small boy, and my dad would get us up on the barn roof laying roofing tiles or shingles with him. If I did that with my son at the age that my dad had me up on a roof, my wife would have taken my kids and left and said, you are an unsafe dad, completely unsafe. And here was why. My dad would say, do you know how to swing a hammer? Then climb the ladder and get up there to help me. Now, this is a quick little aside, but my dad believed that a work ethic was the most important thing to train you in. You were going to learn how to work and work hard. There were a couple of reasons for that. Number one was how he was raised, but I was being raised on a farm. And if everyone doesn't work, it doesn't work. I remember there were times where my dad would have us doing things. And one of them comes to mind in particular. I remember one time on the farm... Um, we had probably about five acres left in field corn that had not been picked. 
And one day my dad comes home and he said, well, I want you to go out in the field and pick the field corn. And I said, well, there's a machine that does that. He said, why would I rent that if I have you? It made no sense. Just you go pick it. And it took forever to harvest the field corn. I remember so many events like this where it was demanded that we would work hard. By the way, whatever you reward and celebrate, you get more of. And in the house where I lived, what was rewarded was, it was hard work. Now, the interesting thing was my dad was a dichotomy. In that, he had an MBA from the University of Wisconsin. He was a mechanical engineer from the University of Washington. And he was an executive engineer in a paper company. So he bought the farm to keep me and my two older brothers out of trouble. That's why he did it. So you need to learn a work ethic while I travel the world and build paper factories. And so I thought everyone was raised like me until I started going to school and find out people slept in and watched Saturday cartoons. I never, ever once watched Saturday cartoons. I didn't even know what they were. Because in our home, it was like quarter to six, feed the cattle, feed the chickens, come in, eat breakfast. And on the farm, there was always some work to be done, always. Do you kind of get the point? I'm trying to get sympathy is really what I'm trying to do because never got any in my house. But the point that I'm making is, is that I would have been early because my dad would have kicked me out of the house at quarter to six and said, be first in line. Now, others of you are sitting here going, I really like Jesus because sounds like I can go to work at five and the quitting bell rings at six and I'll be able to say to the boss, I get paid the same because that's what Jesus says you must do. That's a highly inaccurate reading of the parable that Jesus is teaching. And as a matter of fact, in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, the text says, you and I work as unto God, not to man. You don't work for the boss. You work for God. But here's what we're quickly becoming aware of. Jesus in this parable is letting you know this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. I want you to notice exactly how it's put. By the way, this is getting heavy. I'm going to take it off. What we discover is there's this one simple phrase that I want us to focus on when we think about this parable. Here's what it says. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, what's kind of buried in this parable that I'm sure you'd have mined out of it as well if you had wrestled with the parable is this, is all of a sudden, money determines the value of a person. You have made them equal to us by giving them the same amount of money. The other thing is, is that when you look at what they're saying, is that somehow it's not fair because of the generosity of the vineyard keeper. How many of you have learned that life isn't fair? You learned this? Now, 
in that phrase that we just read, there is in that passage of scripture, there's these words, the heat of the day. They work through the heat of the day. Now, for those of you who like to go a little bit deeper in scripture, I just want to encourage you to go and wrestle with something, and that is this. Whenever you study scripture, there's a biblical law that's called the law of first mention. So anytime you look at a phrase or a topic, you go and find where it's first mentioned in the Bible, and almost always, and especially with Jesus, he's actually referencing that along with the parable or the teaching he's given. What's interesting to note is that that phrase shows up with Abraham, the father of all faith, in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. I just want to read it. It's the story of the three visitors. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent. And what's the next phrase? In the heat of the day. It's the exact same phrase that's in the parable that Jesus is teaching. And what is Abraham doing in the heat of the day? He's sitting at the entrance to his tent. And what were they doing? They're out in the field working. Let's pick up our reading. But sitting there at the entrance to his tent, the heat of the day, it says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. And if you read the rest of the text, he said, I want you to come into my tent. I'm going to wash your feet, give you water. I'm going to feed you a meal, and I'm going to give you rest. And it's those three men that delivered to him God's promise that Sarah's finally going to have the heir to the faith. Now, here's what's interesting to note. In the heat of the day, when Abraham is just shy of 100 years old, he sits in his tent, technically not to rest, but in the heat of the day, he's looking for other people that are struggling in the heat, and he goes out and begs them to come into his hospitality so that he can love them and bless them. So technically, the phrase, in the heat of the day, by some, is viewed as a horrible time to work, but in the kingdom of God, it's viewed as the time where you find people who are struggling in the heat of the day, and you bless them. You love on them. You show them generosity, which is a synonym to hospitality. That's what Abraham does. I firmly believe Jesus is referencing that story as he's weaving this parable. Now let's get back to our parable. What we discover is that generosity reveals the condition of the heart of the workers. Isn't it interesting that when people mention the word generosity, many of us squirm? We don't want to think about it. And yet in this parable, we see a level of generosity that truly upsets the apple cart of people who believe that work is the highest value. And oh, by the way, fairness. And oh, by the way, money. Now, how important is work? If you think work is important, raise your hand. Right? By the way, work was part of humankind before the fall. Work was there. Work's a good thing. How many of you think money is important? How many of you think fairness is important? Now, all three of those are important things, but it's how you rank them that matters. They're important, but in the Hebrew mind, what do you give weight to? 
What's the greatest one or the most important one? And Jesus weaves a parable that involves fairness, it involves work, and it involves money, and he begins to rank them where they're to belong when it comes to generosity. Generosity is more important than fairness, work, or money. In his kingdom, it's supposed to have been the highest value. Now, what's interesting to note in the passage that we read, Jesus says to one of the guys, hey, friend, friend, he calls him friend. What's really fascinating, though, is if you do a quick Greek study, here's what you're going to find, Matthew 20, 13, friend. Actually, that Greek word for friend is used three times in the Bible. All of it means someone who's an imposter and is only really working for their own self-gain. They're really not your friend. By the way, it's what Jesus calls Judas the night that Jesus meets him in the garden and kisses him. He calls him friend, imposter, the one who is acting out of self-gain. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with this parable? It begins with this phrase. Are you envious because I am generous? Isn't it interesting to note that generosity was the thing that Jesus positions as more important than work, fairness, and money? Generosity is the most important thing. And look, here's the reality. If work and fairness, and they are important, are more important to me than love and generosity, then Jesus and his kingdom has something to teach me about life. Because here's what I would tell you, is that I would have been among those who were grumbling, but if I looked over at six o'clock, I knew the quitting bell was gonna, or at five o'clock they were hired, and at six o'clock the quitting bell was gonna ring, and I was part of a carpentry crew, and I looked over, and it was my brother Scott who had been hired at the end of the day because I love him and I know his life would depend on getting the denarii for that day, I'd be absolutely thrilled. Why? Because I what him? Love him. And I'd be thrilled that that boss was my boss because my brother who is going to be destitute without the denarius for that day because I love him, I had borne the heat of the day. He shows up right at sunset and gets what I do, I'd be thrilled. You want to know why? I love my brother Scott, and I know he needs it. There's something about this parable that seems to split us open and shows us the truth of our heart. Is it more important me to have fairness than to show love? Is money more important to me than people? Is work more important than the person that's doing the work? You see, God's generosity is amazing. And the final verse that I want us to look at is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever does what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to think of the generosity of that. Why does God give us Jesus? Because he what's us? He loves us. Here's the thing. Do you deserve Jesus? 
Nope. By the way, can you work hard enough for Jesus to give you forgiveness for... No. It's all based upon God's generosity. By the way, we all better be really thrilled that God is a generous God. Now, as we close out our time, I'd like us to stand. And as we stand together, I'd like us to think about, just for a moment, generosity. Generosity. If you would close your eyes in God's presence, I'd like us to take just a moment and let the present working of the Holy Spirit touch our hearts and our lives. Because if you were raised like I was, work ethic, money, and fairness were in many ways the trifecta of life. But in the kingdom of God, there's this thing called generosity. And it's the primary value that Jesus wants to teach. And oh, by the way, it's the gateway to the good life.